0: Wherever you get your podcasts. In 1880, the U.S. government had a problem. There were so many people in the nation that the 1880 census took eight years to finish. Luckily, a teenager who was frustrated with his job came up with an idea for the next one. One problem for the U.S. government was the census in 1880. In 1880, it took until 1888 to finish the count of all Americans called for by the Constitution. Herman Hollerith worked on the U.S. census as an enumerator when he was 19, and he was annoyed by the manual process. The tabulation that would occur. There must be an easier way, the son of German immigrants thought, than taking all these sheets of paper from the counters and tabulating them by hand in a central office. He noticed something. When he rode on the train, the conductors would take a ticket and punch parts of it. The parts of the ticket would signify the appearance of the passenger. Tall, short, white, black, blonde, brunette. Railroads called it a punch photograph, and it would ensure that only the person paying would be able to use that ticket. Aha, Hollerith thought, take a card the size of one of the dollar bills back then, which in 1880 were a bit larger than today's. They could fit 12 rows and 24 columns. That's 288 potential points of data. Then, he invented the Hollerith census counting machine a large wooden cabinet, kind of like a big, tall piano almost, with a press. The press had pins on it, but they were flexible pins, and they would give if the pins met paper and retreat inwards. If there was no paper present, it would connect and give an electric charge, and voila, register account for that data point of the 288. It was not a perfect system. You still had to punch those cards and then put it into this tabulating machine that Hollerith invented. There was a manual mechanism for that. And of course, you had to count. But the counting was much faster this way than doing it with a bunch of human beings making totals. In 1890, the United States government bought Hollerith's machines for the census and hired Hollerith to wire or program them and completed the 1890 census of 62 million Americans in six weeks. And this census included more than just how many people were in America, but also how many poor, how many widowed, how many disabled, how many Union veterans, all kinds of good information. Unfortunately, all that information was lost in fires at two different occasions. Those punch cards on the Hollerith machines, same size just about, were used up until the 1970s and even entered politics. Barry Goldwater attacked the plans of Lyndon Johnson's Great Society with a TV ad saying that every America would now be reduced to a punch card. Actually, that may have occurred 70 years before. On the My History Can Beat Up Your Politics Facebook site, D. Allen Ridgway asks What about the government's new investment in big data? pros and cons, any privacy concerns? Well, to hear proponents of big data tell it, we may be back in the same type of information problem as 1880. And what does that mean? Well, we've got a lot of data these days. Retail, UPC scans, traffic light cameras, medical records, legal records, seismic monitors, security systems, locks, military drones with cameras, patient monitoring systems, websites, Facebook pages. This is all great, but what do you do with all this data? How can you analyze and and benefit from it? Here's how the Defense Research Agency DARPA explains it. Picture trying to find a 50-gallon drum in the Atlantic Ocean. There's a 100 billion gallons of water estimated in the Atlantic Ocean. You're just not going to find it. Well, if you consider that each of those gallons in the ocean is one byte of data, that's the amount of data the Atlantic Ocean that was generated in 2010 alone. Systems, software algorithms need to be developed so that We can access the data, store the data, analyze the data, say, what is it? And where can we find the piece we're looking for, the patterns we're looking for?
1: Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money
0: Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Otherwise, having all these systems out there to collect data is not useful. And, and this is very important for us human beings, to be able to visualize the data, give it shape, form, apply colors to it, detect patterns, and make those patterns visible. So DARPA wants this big data software. What's the use of sending drones across the Earth with robotic camera eyes if you can't do anything with the output? Geologic Survey wants it, as so does the Department of Energy, the National Institute of Health for the Genomic Molecular Data, that is very complicated. The Obama administration, all departments, consider plans to invest $250 million in this big data. There are benefits and downsides, from my view. The downside, of course, is privacy, information and analysts at the hands of the government. And with citizens unable to possess it or really even understand all of it, at least for a time, right? The data is too big for the government to understand right now. How are citizens ever going to understand it? Freedom of Information Act gets tougher when we're talking about t bytes of data, and you don't have the big data computer on your end to do anything with it. Yet you have to look at the benefits too with anything like this. Maybe we can detect events around the world, natural disasters, or human disasters such as uprising that might lead to great costs for us years from now, sending our boys over to a region of the world instead of a drone. Maybe the genomic data leads to better treatments down the road. Maybe the detection of patterns across cities helps us to reduce crime. Some will say that privacy is so valuable that we can't trade anything for it. But is that realistic? Here's a wild but somewhat historical example that I can apply to this question a little bit here. We often hear about J. Edgar Hoover. There's the Leonardo DiCaprio movie, many books about it. He was a scary individual, and I think it's safe to say one of these people that were dangerous to a full democracy. Truman was wary of him. Obviously, we know the Kennedy brothers had their issues with J. Edgar Hoover. He had a lot of power, yet he was not elected, so very dangerous to democracy. I think the level of control that he had and his willingness to intervene in things uh, is seen in a funny example the letters that the FBI wrote to Mad Magazine requesting that they take out a caricature of Mr Hoover On the more serious side we have Mark Felt's account that when Jagger Hoover died it was very much a race to the files and Hoover's personal secretary Helen Gandhi destroyed those files What were in those files? Why did she have to destroy them? Felt would only say that they were personal. Felt himself was convicted for illegal break-ins. and He was pardoned by Reagan. All of this before it was known that Felt was Bob Woodward's deep-throat source. Now, I bring up all this to say we have this bad side of the FBI. Yet, as in many things, the bad side is spooky and fun, and the good side is just kind of ho-hum. We don't even think about it. We take it for granted. So yeah, we have this perhaps paranoid, crazy individual was in charge of this secret agency and was violating the rights of citizens of the United States and controlling politics in a way that's not appropriate for a police force. What about the other side? Uh, What about going to pre-FBI history when gangsters could roam around the country outrunning and outgunning local police forces? What about the benefit of protection from crime that we got from this kind of admittedly power-hungry individual, protection of banks, and handling of kidnapping cases. There's a trade-off. And so I can't help with the total question of whether something like this big data is the right choice to make or whether it's going to be a privacy disaster, but I can red-flag it and say it's something to be aware of as the policy implemented, but I think you do have to look at both sides. I bring up the census because it was definitely the big data of its day, of 1787, and despite the fact that the Constitution was a document written with concern for government's power against the individual.
1: We all know how important it is to keep your eye on the money, and not just your own. To follow trends, track financial situations, follow gains and losses, check out the Yahoo Finance podcast. Every day, we'll give you a quick overview of the latest market and financial news that you need to know. You'll be able to hear about the biggest headlines in the business world in three minutes or less, right after markets close. It's perfect to listen to while you make another cup of coffee or work out a new budget. Check it out now. Listen to Yahoo Finance wherever you get your podcasts. That's Yahoo Finance wherever you get your podcasts.
0: In this case, it actually mandated a count of every citizen in the United States. Representatives and direct taxes shall be apportioned among the several states which may be included within this union according to their respective numbers. The actual enumeration shall be completed within three years and within every subsequent term of 10 years in such manner as they shall direct. They needed that data to make the system fair. And so Thomas Jefferson, Secretary of State, oversaw federal marshals fanning out and counting people in 1790. They did so in every state and the territories. The practice at the time was actually less private than today. Every household needed to be visited, and complete census schedules would be posted in two of the most public places within each jurisdiction of the marshal to remain for the inspection of all concerned. So this is back in 1790, run by the great supporter of individual rights, Thomas Jefferson. Yet in each of these jurisdictions, you're seeing a poster with all of your friends and neighbors' names. Why? Perhaps to be sure that it was effective, that everybody was counted and people could check it. President Washington would get the aggregate amount of the description of persons. In a kind of funny way, Washington got the big data, not the little data. So at least in that area, Americans traded a little privacy for better representation and perhaps more money for their state. So I think that big data is something to watch. Americans as a people are more individualistic. We don't like this idea of trading our privacy even where their gain is high. But on the other hand, we're realistic. In some ways, it relates to Alexander Hamilton and the question of the U.S. Bank that we discussed uh, a week or so ago, and where you come down on that. Because Hamilton's argument to Washington was, when he wanted to create this new Bank of the United States, is if we, the federal government, have a task to perform, then you have to give us the means. You can't give us a task to perform and not give us all the means to get it done. So if you create a National Institute of Health, tell it to better preserve the health of Americans, and then yet there is all this genomic data out there, which hopefully you can make anonymous and just look at the, the data in the aggregate, how could you simply not use it under that formula? Two things to look at, whether or not President Obama or the Defense Department goes forward with this big data plan, you have to remember The corporations will. Walmart, for instance, recently bought a Facebook app called Social Calendar. I'm sure somehow they will have their computers talk to its computers when it comes time to stocking up on supplies for weddings and baby clothes. And regardless of what the president does here, the administration does here, what if other countries use this big data and we don't? Because we have the privacy of concerns. Will they better fend off against natural disasters, find better energy sources, fight disease, and have smarter war drones because, let's say, the Chinese, the Russians, or French governments go for big data, and we decide on private concerns not to? Almost every question now of policy has to be seen in this multidimensional way.